Welcome to Things I Preach to Myself About Podcast. I'm your host, Rich Vangen, and after a long hiatus away, I am back, and I'm excited to share with you some of the stuff that's been planted on my heart and in my mind from God above. And part of that over this summer has been the revelation of a song that many are familiar with these words. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He is trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. He hath loosed the faithful lightning of his terrible swift sword. His truth is marching on. Glory, glory, hallelujah. The great battle hymn of the Republic, words penned by Julia Ward Howe in 1861. They were to rally up the troops at the early stages of the Civil War in America. The beginning stanza instantly creates images of the Lord's return, as we see through the Holy Spirit to John in the book of Revelation. So in chapter 14, we see the angels of the Lord harvesting the grapes for the wrath of the Lord. And another angel came out from the altar the angel who has authority over the fire, and he called with a loud voice to the one who had the sharp sickle, Put your sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, for its grapes are ripe. So the angel swung his sickle across the earth and gathered the grape harvest of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden outside the city, and blood flowed from the wine press as high as a horse's bridle for 1,600 stadia. God's Wrath Something that is oftentimes avoided in conversations. Sadly, it's seldom spoken of in today's pulpits. I have to believe that it's because church leaders don't want to scare people away from attending church. The people of today have turned from accepting harsh and demanding teachings and now only really want to embrace the soft and easy-to-digest therapy sessions going on. Yes, historically, there have been extreme levels that the church took when everything they presented was all fire and brimstone, you know, a continual damning message that threatened everyone's souls. But I have to agree with R.C. Sproul when he said that people aren't afraid of the wrath of God anymore because Preachers are out there telling people that God loves them unconditionally. Now, today's teachings within the walls of modern churches are clearly unbiblical because wrath from God is something that the Bible has plenty to say about, and there are clearly plenty of examples that show God imputing his wrath onto the earth, especially in the last days. Christ's return to earth is to be a judgment a time to separate true believers and non-believers. Further on in Revelation, we read in chapter 19, verse 15, that Christ will strike down the nations. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. God's wrath has been and will be a reality that should strike a fear within the hearts of people. There are two ways to define fearing God. Fear of his anger and wrath, kind of like a frightened child facing an angry parent, and fearing God with reverence and awe. 
Proverbs 1, 7 and chapter 9, verse 10, both declare that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. In Psalm 111, verse 10, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow his precepts gain rich understanding. His praise endures forever. So you see, we can both fear God and fear God. But to those who have salvation through Christ Jesus, we can stand in peace from the fear of God's wrath because we won't be classified as a grape that will be tread upon in the wine press. But no matter if you're a Christian or not, all the people should be praising God right now for his patience with this world. So we see in the Old Testament the level of God's patience when dealing with Israel, but we also learn from the historical records that his patience has limits. I mean, when a chosen people of God, blessed above all the nations, had to be judged and punished for their complacency and sins, that should be a warning to us Gentile believers as well that we are not exempt. In Genesis 18, we read the account of God's patience with the most wicked of cities at that time, Sodom and Gomorrah. God's decree was to destroy those evil places by fire from heaven. But Abraham's pleading with God to forego his wrath for a time so he could rescue a few righteous people within the cities delayed that destruction. God had even dispatched a couple of angels to get Abraham's nephew Lot and his family out of the city. But this delay was just for a short time. See, God is patient, merciful, but yet just. With this patience, we do not want to make a mistake into thinking that God will not judge just because something hasn't happened yet. In 2 Peter uh, chapter 3, verse 9, we see that the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Meaning, we need to recognize that the time of his wrath could come at any moment. In the very next verse, we are warned that the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with the roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. There is a clear and definite absolute that the God of heaven is going to exact his wrath upon the earth. And those who have thumbed their nose at Jesus and the gift of salvation are going to face that eternal judgment of damnation. Hell, that destination of those who reject the mercy and grace of God through Jesus Christ, is not going to be a beach paradise, an eternal party that so many people of this world seem to believe. What is worse is that there are many people who sit in today's churches that are on this list of rejection by the Savior. Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. The churches have grown exceedingly weak in their preaching and teaching of the Bible, thus allowing many to have a soft complacency and casualness. 
These are people who look to have their feelings satisfied instead of satisfying the demands of God's laws. Now, without getting into a legalistic path, we have to understand that we have obligations on our part to obey God and his word. God has set forth his commandments within the scriptures. Our duty is to obey them. Jesus even summed up the whole of God's requirements in Matthew 22 by stating that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. But you see, if we examine our hearts and minds in the light of Scripture, we know that we fall short of following the commandments of God. After all, it says in the Bible that if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What shall we say then? We are sinners, and sinners don't get into heaven. In fact, God has that winepress of wrath waiting for justice to be meted out when he comes on that day of the Lord. Pretty scary stuff when you think about it. You think about the eternal consequences of our actions in the here and now. There is a way, a hope that reaches down through the generations and gives us peace from that wrath. But it is also something not to be taken lightly. You see, when people say a prayer to accept Jesus as their Savior, they need to realize that these are not just some magic words to bail you out of hell. Nor is having a membership of a church or being baptized. And it's not by having several Bibles in your home. And it's certainly not by doing good things for others. All of those things are important, but they are not your salvation from the wrath of God. So many can say a prayer, go to church, do good things, but still miss out on God's true call. People want the gifts and things from God, but without following God's requirements. God doesn't give us his word as recommendations or suggestions. They are requirements. And it is a daily struggle, a battle, and a conscientious choice every moment of every day to choose this day who you will serve. Salvation from the wrath to come is one side of a two-sided coin. Salvation is a gift from God to redeem us from the punishment of our sins. But there is responsibility on our part as well, the new life and the new path. We have to strive daily. In Hebrews 3.6 it says, But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope, firm to the end. If indeed we hold fast in our hope firmly to the end. We cannot just make some gestures one day and then coast the rest of the way. We have actions to take daily. We have battles to fight daily. We have changes to implement daily. We have to start and end each day with a checklist of commitment to God and his word. Let's just say that we need to recognize lip service versus action. In 1 John chapter 1, uh, verses 5 through 10, it says, 
This is the message that we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him but we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not within us. So it says in there, if we walk in the light, and it also says if we confess our sins, those are two actions. And we have to take these actions every day. We have to walk the walk, walking in the light as he is in the light. And we have to confess our sins. Now, the word confess is translated from the Greek word homologio, which means of one mind. It means to speak the same language or agree with or acknowledge. So when we confess We are agreeing with God who already knows our hearts and minds. He already knows our sins. And we're telling him through the Holy Spirit that's illuminating within us that we recognize our trespass against his laws. We plead with our advocate, Jesus Christ, who's already paid the penalty for our sins, and we repent or turn away from that sin. Folks, it's a daily battle, a daily conscious effort that God does give us the strength to win by the power of the Holy Spirit. God promised that we who believe, when tempted, will be given a way out. So we need to daily meditate on the Word, keep in prayer, trust in our faith, and run the race with endurance all the way to the end. You see, there are only two paths in this life. And for the folks that think there's like a middle ground, that's also called lukewarm. That's not a path to eternal salvation. In fact, the the lukewarm ones, which are a lot of folks in a lot of churches today, they're going to end up being added onto the path of those who rejected Jesus Christ or those who took the wide path, the easy way. Those who rejected that or took that path, they're going to the wine press. That's a reality, folks. Stick your head in the sand. Deny it, ignore it, whatever you want to do. But that's a reality. It's in the Bible. You need to follow that and understand that and trust it and know it and believe it and tell others about it. Because those folks are going to fall under the wrath of God and be cast into the lake of fire. That's biblical. But for those who enter through the narrow gate, who stay firm on the narrow path, consistently walk in the light of God's word every day, there will be eternal reward in heaven for their faith and steadfastness. Those who walk this path, believe me, you're going to be tempted. You're going to encounter many pitfalls. You're going to hit many snares from the enemy. But Christ has overcome the world. He is our strength. He is our guide. He is our Savior. 
So be encouraged and trust daily, never taking your eyes off the prize, always doing the will of the Father. And believe me, this is something I have to preach to myself constantly because it's very easy to stagger off the path. In 1 John chapter 2, it says, Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. You see, people are warned over and over and over again. They're given numerous opportunities and they love the world. They don't want to hear the harshness of the fact that God, who is a God of love, is also a God of wrath. So folks, don't be a grape of wrath. If you haven't given your life to Jesus, you have time now, but that time is for a very, very short period. Don't hesitate. And turn. Read the word. Commit your life. Seek him daily. Confess your sins. And grow in the knowledge and truth of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, who was and is and is to come very soon. Amen. Well, this has been Rich Vangen. Things I Preach to Myself About podcast. I thank you for taking time. I thank you for giving me the opportunity after a long hiatus to come back and share what God's been planting on my heart. And I hope that he's planting his truth and his word on your heart as well. May you and yours be blessed and enriched daily by the truth of God through our Savior Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. God bless you all.